Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. I'm glad that you've been able to join us today for some Bible study. And that's what we'll do for the next 30 minutes is try to study the Bible and get to know our Bible a little bit better. The way we operate on this program, if you're a first-time viewer, is we let you decide what the program's about. So you get to ask questions, and we'll try to find some answers from the Bible for you. There's a phone number and a website on the screen throughout the program. You can use those anytime. Uh, give us your question, very detailed question about a verse or a topic or a doctrine or maybe something in your life. You wonder, what's the Bible have to say about that? So uh, we'll try to find answers for you and answer as many as we can today. Uh, so we're going to get started. And when I say we, I mean me, Steve Tandy, and my friend Toby Levering. Good Hi, morning, Steve. Toby. Good morning. Glad you're here and ready to go. And uh, viewers get the first one every week. So here's yours for the day. Uh, what day could the high priest enter the most holy place? Old Testament uh, practice, the high priest got to go into the holy place only one day a year. What day was that? And we'll give you the answer at the end of the program, see if you know that little bit of Bible trivia. Looks like I drew the first question today, so let's get started. Who will be on the judgment throne on judgment day, Jesus or God? Well, some of you may have never thought of that question, but good question. And the Bible, I think, answers that pretty clearly. Let's just look at a couple of verses and we'll have the answer. First one's in 2 Corinthians 5.10. Paul said, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. The judgment seat is the judgment seat of Christ. And in Matthew 25, uh, Jesus himself said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Once again, sounds like Jesus will be on the throne. So I think there's our answer. Now let me qualify that just a little bit. Uh, since the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all spiritual beings, uh, I don't know what it will appear like on Judgment Day. Uh, but I don't think it will appear like we think of three distinct people. For instance, on this program, uh, you can point to the screen and say, well, that's Steve and that's Toby. There's two distinct beings there. Uh, I don't know how it's going to work when we get to the Judgment Throne. Uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all going to be there, and whether they're lined up as three distinct individuals or not, I don't know how that will appear to us. Uh, we will certainly be in their presence, uh, but it's clear in the Bible that Jesus is the one that will be doing the, the, the judging on the, the, the judgment throne. So 
There's the answer, Jesus. <laughs> okay, that's a, always a good answer. <laughs> yep. Next, next uh, question is: Games at the senior center cost a dollar to play, and you can win cash. Is that gambling? Well, okay, I, it's a very specific question, and I understand that you know as you ask it, it's clear to me that you took the time to ask it and give the question in and submit it to us. Um, that tells me it probably already bothers your conscience. So that might be a warning sign right there. The Bible doesn't really have a verse that specifically addresses that specific of a question. It really doesn't address the issue of gambling in and of itself. You know, there's lots of forms of gambling, you know, lottery tickets and uh, bingo and uh, casinos and all of that. And, uh, Bible doesn't mention any of those specifically. What it does talk about at great length is stewardship and our wisdom and handling the money that God gives us. Um, so you have to think sort of bigger. You know, I'm not, I can't point out a book, chapter, verse thing uh, to, to the bigger issues at hand. If you're a Christ follower, follower and this bothers your conscience enough to submit the question then it's violating your conscience and that's that's issue number one so anything that bothers my conscience i'm i'm just using that to like stay away from it uh... second is i gotta consider my example my influence okay um, uh, this happens uh, there are people who are watching this program who've met me in public and have met steve in public see us at the store or at the gas station or something and say hey we like the program and always when I have those interactions, I always appreciate meeting people and hearing their stories and how long have they been watching. But I always think, um, how long were they watching me before I was aware of it? And what was my example like? What was my lifestyle? You know, did they did they see me lose my temper? Did they, you know, I'm very mindful of my example and my influence. Well, Christians have to be that way. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So we have to steward well, not just our money, uh, but our example. Um, so th those are a couple of things to, to keep in mind. Um, and probably the, the bigger issue, you know, the issue with gambling, why it's an issue has more to do with what it's about than anything else. I mean, gambling, the whole purpose of it is to, 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 to try to get something for nothing, to try to get a little bit of something for less than I invested into it. You know, put in a dollar, get ten dollars. Um, you know, and it could be bigger amounts or smaller amounts, but the whole point is I'm trying to get you know, just a little bit ahead. In order for me to win at gambling, somebody else has to lose. And um, that, there's a bigger issue there. Uh, why do we do that? Why do people gamble small, big? Well, because some people say, well, I do it for entertainment. No, that's not true. Okay? Uh, if there was no chance of winning money, you wouldn't go. You wouldn't do it. Uh, the reason people do it is because there's greed in our heart. There's the desire for more money. There's desire for getting something I didn't have to work for. And the, Jesus warned against that very specifically. He said, watch out for all kinds of greed. Uh, the scriptures are very clear that greed is something that we can set up as an idol in our heart. So those are the bigger issues. Consider your stewardship. Consider your example. 
uh, consider whether it's an issue of greed. Um, and, and, and I think you'll make the right decision. Uh, let's look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So some things to think about as you consider the issue of, uh, of uh, playing for bingo uh, at the senior center. Hope that helps. All right, I got a question that we get periodically. Uh, it's an argument against baptism. So people that don't have been taught that baptism is not essential to salvation use this argument sometimes. Uh, Paul said that he was not called to baptize. So baptism is not a means of salvation. Uh, when we get that question, we point out that number one, it's bad logic. Uh, we won't take time to go into that, but even if Paul did mean that he wasn't supposed to baptize, uh, that doesn't counteract the many, 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 many verses that teach clearly uh, that baptism is required by God. So it's, it's bad logic to start with, but the real problem with that argument is it's uh, one of the worst cases of taking a verse out of context and trying to make it mean something that... Uh, you've been taught to believe. Uh, the way we're going to approach this is we're just going to uh, read the passage. First, let's just read the verse that's taken out of context. That's 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and verse 17. Uh, Paul did say this. He said, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Okay, if you take just that verse and none of the rest of the Bible, uh, you might be able to conclude, all right, baptism is not necessary. But if you read the, just the paragraph, not even the whole chapter, just read the paragraph that that's in, and it'll become blazingly clear what Paul's talking about. So we're going to do that. Now let's set the stage first. Uh, what the problem was in 1 Corinthians was they had different parties. They were divided. They weren't unified in the church. And what they were divided over were some of them Paul was their favorite preacher, so they said, I follow Paul. Uh, some of them, Apollos was their favorite preacher, so they said, I follow Apollos. And they were divided into these parties uh, around their favorite preachers. All right, so here's what Paul says. Verse 13, 1 Corinthians 1. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? Okay, just stop there for a moment. Uh, I mean, there goes the, the bad logic part of it. Uh, he said, were you baptized into the name of Paul? What he's saying is, no, every one of you were baptized into the name of Christ. Okay, so the whole church was baptized. <laughs> okay, then he goes on. I'm thankful that I didn't baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized into my name. And then he said, oh, I remember I also baptized the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. All right, what Paul's saying is, don't be saying you follow me, because you weren't baptized into my name. You were baptized into the name of Christ. And I don't even remember who all I baptized. Uh, that wasn't why I came. I came to preach the gospel. Uh, I let other people baptize you. That's not the important part of who baptized you. You weren't baptized into my name. 
So if you, you read that passage with open eyes and understanding a context, uh, what Paul really says is the whole church was baptized. That's how they got into Christ. They were baptized and took the name of Christ. And Paul said, who did the baptizing? Not the important part. And that wasn't my purpose, to, to go and personally preside at baptisms. I preach the gospel and other folks baptize you. All right. So very clear what he's saying there. That verse, when it's used to uh, discount baptism, is used completely out of context. And uh, folks ought to be more honest than that with uh, dividing the scriptures. All right, let's take this moment and talk about a way to study the Bible. And uh, maybe you've never taken the time to sit down and really study the Bible. Uh, You've heard things like that last question. You've heard, well, there's a verse that says Paul didn't baptize. Well, read the Bible and you'll learn a lot more about it. And we know that's hard to do for some folks. It's hard to get started in a habit of Bible study, but we've got some tools that we're happy to share with you because we think the Bible's important to study. Uh, here's a course that we offer every week. There's eight lessons in it, great non-denominational overview of the Bible, a uh, good way to get familiar with your Bible. More advanced courses, follow that one up if you want to keep studying, and most people do just keep right on studying for uh, as long as they want. We've got an online course that we've added lately that uh, you can study the Bible without waiting for the mailman to come. Uh, Just on your phone or tablet or PC, you can open it up and study the Bible and go through this course. So oneway.worldbibleschool.org is how to get hooked up with that one. And all of them are great studies. Use the phone number of the website on the screen to uh, get the paper studies and we'll get it started for you. And uh, we think you'll enjoy studying the Bible with Know Your Bible Study Tools. All right, Toby, what's up next? All right, I got a question about sin. The question is, who is worse, a transgender person or a person who commits adultery over and over? The Ten Commandments say nothing about transgender, but does forbid adultery. All right. Well, there's a, a lot happening in this question. Uh, first is, uh, there is no better or worse in God's eyes. All sin separates us from God. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Second thing is, Ten Commandments is not the whole standard of God's standard of righteousness. Um, people, the Ten Commandments are the best well-known, and uh, they're, they're uh, even when you ask people what the Ten Commandments are, they kind of struggle. They can probably get five or six of them, but you know, even most people don't know all ten. Um, so when you look at the commands, the expectations of God, there's over 600 of them. Uh, so that all that does, all the Old Testament, and the old law did, was set this high, high standard that no one could meet of the what God what God's standard for righteousness is. You see, you and I, we have a standard of righteousness, and it's very low, okay? If you ask most people, are you a good person? Are you basically a good person? They say, yeah, I'm basically a good person. But that's not the standard we're using, okay? I, I, we, we measure ourselves by ourselves. That's not, <laughs> that's not the standard of what's good and righteous. What we use for the standards of what's good and righteous is what God's expectation is. And when we examine ourselves by that standard, we come to the same conclusion that Isaiah did when he came into the presence of God, which is, Woe to me, 
Woe, this is a prophet of God. Woe to me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm an, a man of an unclean heart. I'm a people of unclean uh, lips and of an unclean heart. I mean, he just, he just was in awe of God's perfect righteousness and holiness and goodness. And that's what the law intends to do. So, when you get into, well, this sin's better than that sin, this sin's not mentioned here. Okay, if you look at the whole law, uh, it, it's... it's pretty specific in some places there about people dressing in other people's clothes and uh, taking on a different identity than what God gave you and all of that. Uh, That's not what I want to focus on. When when you try to go to the law to, to obtain righteousness, you can't do it. You cannot meet the standard. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In the New Testament, 1 John chapter 5, verse 17 tells us that all wrongdoing is sin. Whether you lie, whether you commit adultery, whether you, you uh, worship idols, whether you uh, are tra- uh, homosexual, uh, whether you uh, dishonor your parents, all of that is wrongdoing. God has this immensely high standard. And, and when you look at it, you go, well, gosh... I guess we're all sinners. Yeah, exactly. Exactly the point. And that's the point of the Bible is to lead us to to the acknowledgement that we all sin, that we all fall short. All our sins, the, the, the wages, the punishment for that sin is death. We all are sinners in need of a Savior. I don't care what your sin is. We all need the Savior. I need the Savior. Steve needs the Savior. You need the Savior. Your friend. You know, all people need uh, the righteousness that comes from God, and that is only available through Jesus. So, uh, when we get into comparing sins, and this sin's worse than that sin, and all that, we're missing the point entirely. And the point is uh, that we all fail to meet God's standard. There was only one who did, and that was Christ Jesus. And He is the only way that we can find forgiveness, uh, whether whatever your sin is. Pick it, okay? Uh, let, let's look at a verse, Scripture on the screen. Paul listed some very specific sins, and he said this, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, before we read the list here, unrighteous is all of us. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to say in verse 11, now this, I don't think this one's on the screen, but in verse 11 he says, And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were justified, you were sanctified through Jesus the Christ. So let's not get caught up on comparing sins. Uh, we all fall short in some measure or another. The only answer to that is Jesus, to obey him, to yield him, to do what he says to do, to live our lives uh, as best we can in accordance with his will. He's the only way out. And so I hope that helps you. All righty. Thank you. And that lays the foundation perfectly for the next question. Uh, you were asked a little different slant on things. He said, can a sex offender go to heaven? And if you paid attention to Toby's answer, well, the answer is yes. <laughs> uh, and another verse that says that very clearly, closely, clearly is First John 1, 9. Let's look at that. Uh, John said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all 
unrighteousness. So once again there, God does not distinguish, I'll forgive this sin, but not that sin. And he, John goes on and says, all unrighteousness. So Toby's point about sin being sin is exactly right. So the answer to the question is, can a sex offender go to heaven? Uh, yes, because of the death of Christ. Now, let me amplify a little bit on that. Uh, all sin is sin. Uh, sex offenders, uh, especially abusers of children, uh, I'll admit that is a very unique sin, uh, not because it's a different kind of sin in the eyes of God, but because of the consequences of the sin. Uh, also, the cause of the sin, where that temptation comes from, is a mystery to most of us, I think. Uh, and it seems to be a sin that is perhaps much more difficult to change uh, the desires, etc., than other sins. It, it's just a unique sin from uh, the consequences that are experienced from it and the difficulty to change and the cause of it and all of that. So, uh, yes, if a sex offender... Uh, repents, confesses, obeys Christ in baptism, uh, strives to live a pure life, all that, certainly they can go to heaven. But that compulsion, however mysterious it is to, to most of us, from everything I've read, requires a lot more counseling, a lot more support. Uh, it's a very more difficult battle and is very difficult to overcome. So I don't want to minimize the fact that it is a unique sin uh, because of its characteristics and its consequences and all of that. But to answer the direct question, uh, can a sex offender go to heaven? Yes, anybody who puts their faith in Jesus, obeys him in baptism, is covered with the, the blood of Christ, and that cleanses us from all unrighteousness take a moment and invite you to visit a church of christ you may be have a church home and are very happy there but if you happen to be looking for a church home uh, let me tell you about some folks that support this program uh, the kingman church of christ and the pratt church of christ in kansas uh, are great groups of uh, christians that uh, support this program and we appreciate them and we like to thank them and tell you if you live in that community you could add your thanks to ours uh, maybe you know Steve Triplett or some of them members at uh, the Pratt Church of Christ. Uh, when you see them, tell them, hey, I was watching Know Your Bible the other day and saw that you're a supporter. We appreciate that. Same thing in Kingman, Kansas. Uh, whatever community you're watching in, whatever market you're viewing us from, uh, there's a Church of Christ near you that you would be warmly welcomed at. So drop in and see them sometime. All right, Toby, angels, yeah. Lucifer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, question is, how could an angel like Lucifer be created? And the answer to that is um, there's, you know, lots of things that God created and uh, uh, they took a different turn. <laughs> a good example of that is just look in the mirror, right? We all were created by God and at some point all of us have sinned and fall short of His glory and do things that uh, he does not wish for us, that we've rebelled against him. Um, so we don't get a, a picture of how God created 
uh, Lucifer, but in my mind, uh, you know, as angels are created beings, uh, whenever he was created, uh, you know, just like all angels have free will and all human beings have free will, apparently uh, Lucifer, although there's not a verse that specifically calls out Satan's name as Lucifer, um, all angels have that ability to choose and he certainly chose uh, to go his own way to rebel against God uh, but the Bible doesn't give us very much detail. I know some people think there does. There are some verses on Isaiah but if you look at the context it's more talking about kings of Babylon and things like that. So um, you might think of it this way. Some, some would ask the question another way. How could God create Hitler? Right? Why, knowing what he would do and all of that. Well God created Hitler, he's made in God's image, but Hitler chose to do ungodly, terrible, awful things, okay? <clears throat> he used his free will in a way that God did not want. So what God created was good, but free will gave us the option to choose how we live our lives. And Hitler chose evil, Lucifer chose evil, uh, and God will punish evildoers. God is perfectly just, and he will handle that just right. So the answer to that is free will. Uh, God creates what's good, and it's up to us to follow up and live a life that it pleases him. Let's look at uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. So God's going to handle all that, and at the end of it, uh, the good's going to win, God's going to win, and we want to be on God's side. Hope that helps. All right. So let's see if we can decide about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost. Why do you talk about the Holy Spirit and not use the term Holy Ghost? All right. Uh, I would be willing to uh, bet that uh, this viewer reads the King James Version because it uses the term Holy Ghost uh, much more than Holy Spirit. About 90 times it mentions Holy Ghost, and only seven does it translate the word Spirit. Uh, modern translations have Holy Spirit. The reason is, uh, King James Version was translated in 1611, and back then, ghost was the term for uh, an immaterial being, a spirit. A person's essence was called their ghost. And it had no other connotation than that. When Shakespeare talked about ghost, when King James Version talked about ghost, it was the essence of the person, their soul. The word comes from breath, actually. So that was what they understood it to mean. But over time, ghost took on a meaning more uh, that of a spirit of a dead person. Uh, a dead person's spirit moving around on earth like Casper the ghost or bad ghosts and all that. And spirit came to mean people's life, their essence, their spirit, uh, their breath, uh, their soul. So the, the answer is that the words changed meanings over time where ghost now has a connotation of the spirit of a dead person. And we just don't use that term for the holy spirit anymore. Uh, all modern translations say Holy Spirit. So that's the word we usually use here. Holy Ghost is a perfectly fine term if you understand what you're talking about, uh, but it's the change in language that has brought that about. 
All right, we're out of time for our questions, but here's your viewer's question for the day. Uh, what day could the high priest enter the most holy place? And if you go to Leviticus 16, you can read all about the Day of Atonement, one day a year. Glad you've been with us today and hope that uh, we answered your question. If not, be back next week for more questions. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.